Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys today. Uh, as many of you know, uh, when I was 19, I lost my dad to a suicide, and it was, of course, hard, as you can imagine, difficult to navigate that. It was very unexpected. Uh, but one of the, the bright spots in that was seeing, really, the church be the church to me and my family, uh, their generosity, how they served, all of these things, financially and otherwise. Uh, and so after my father passed away, I ended up taking his car. His car was a little bit, uh, not quite as old as mine, a little bit newer than mine. And so I took his car, and I knew immediately what I had to do with mine, and that was not to sell it, but to give it away. And I had a friend in college at the time who was always working. He was always putting money into his car because it was always, it was just really old, always messing up. And so I knew that this is what we have to do. Now, in a vacuum, that might sound like, I don't know, noble or, or generous that a nine-year-old would give a car away. But in the context of what happened, I mean, it was incomparable to the generosity of what people did to our family. It was such a small thing to play in some small way to help someone else just a fraction of the way that all these people were helping our family, right? And so you could say, yeah, I guess it was a nice thing to do, but in comparison to what everybody and all these people were doing for us, man, it was just a small way to say thank you and to show my appreciation uh, for what God had done to me, for me and my family. And today, uh, as we continue through the book of Exodus, we are going to see how Israel responds to God's amazing grace and love and compassion towards them. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 35. Uh, if you don't, there's a black one around you you can use. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. If you've been with us, we are almost coming to the end of the book of Exodus. Uh, we've seen the story of God rescuing Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, showing his power and his grace and his might in, their, in his lives, protecting these people, even though they have repeatedly complained and gone their own way. A couple of weeks ago, we saw they created a golden calf because Moses was up on Mount Sinai. Sinai for a long time. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, and instead of God completely wiping them out or rejecting them or not being with them any longer, he re-covenants with them. All they have done is said they're sorry. All they have done is repented. They haven't done anything. They haven't proven themselves. And yet God in his grace again says, I am going to be with you. Now remember uh, that God draws Israel out for a reason that he wants to make them a distinct nation in the world from which the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would one day come. We saw last week uh, one of the most uh, popular, or I should say, uh, the, the most referenced passage in all of Scripture, Exodus 34, where God tells Moses that he is compassionate and graceful, uh, full of truth, uh, and uh, gives abounding love to thousands of generations. And we've seen this throughout Exodus, that God repeatedly loves his people. Right, And so, again, they, they build this golden calf, and what does God do? They just mourn. They say they're sorry. Again, God says, I give you grace. I give you forgiveness that his presence is still going to be with them. And so now we are going to see how Israel responds to them des deserving to be uh, kind of rejected out of God's presence and honestly destroyed to God saying, no, I'm still going to be with you. And so in chapter 35 uh, begins the construction of the tabernacle, that God told Moses, here's what it looks like if you want me to be in your presence. And so now they're actually going to construct the tabernacle that will be placed in the center of the Israelite camp uh, from which God's presence will dwell. Uh, now, what's interesting here. Um, is that he uh, encourages people or they, they allow people to give, right? They have to give of their precious jewels and all these things in order to construct the tabernacle. Uh, what you'll see is that God does not tell all the Israelites, he doesn't tell them they have to give, and he doesn't even tell them how much they have to give. He simply says, right, if this is something you want to do, he invites them in to be generous, and here's how Israel responds. I think one of the most remarkable, remarkable passages in all of Exodus. Uh, here's what happens. We'll start in verse 4. Chapter 35, verse 4. It says, Then Moses said to the entire Israelite community, 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing bring this as the Lord's offering, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins, dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, an onyx with gemstones to mount on the ephod and the breastpiece. Again, so all this, all this to say, it's a very elaborate and beautiful design that God is inviting them to give to so that his presence will be among them. Now, again, remember the supplies that are given are not commanded. It's simply if they want to do it. And so people decided what they wanted to do. And then from their decision, they started to give to the people, to the people who were building the tabernacle to make it happen. Now, one thing that I think must be pointed out is that the only reason that the Israelites even had this material to begin with is because God gave it to them. If you remember when they were leaving uh, Egypt, uh, the Israelites, the Egyptians were just like, just get out of here, take whatever you want. We don't want you anymore. And so they got all these gold and these gemstones and all these things to help them as they're traveling through the wilderness to, to uh, give them provisions through the journey that they could use, uh, they could trade with and all of these things. And so the only reason they even have stuff to give is because God allowed them to have it in the first place. Now, not to say that doesn't take away that the fact that the Israelites were generous, right? It doesn't take away that they still had to decide side, that they were going to give some of it back to the Lord. But we have to remember that they're only generous because God allowed them to be, right? They're only generous because God allowed them to be. And what this shows us, what this passage of Exodus shows us is the reality that everything you own has been given to you by God. Everything you own has been given to you by God. The Israelites, of course, were in no position to, def- to refute that, right? Nothing we own, whether you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus or not is, not, is not something that God doesn't own or God doesn't allow you to have, right? None of it is outside of God's reach. I mean, think of it this way, right? There, there would be no Israelite who was like, we should give to the tabernacle. Well, I'm not going to do it because, you know, I have a master's degree and I worked really hard. Like three months ago, they didn't have anything, Right? They, they knew that everything that had been given to them had been given to them by God. Now, our context is a little bit different. It might be easy for us to say, well, I've worked really hard and I've, I've gotten what I've gotten. It's been from my own hard work and I'm not downplaying the hard work that each of us do uh, to generate an income and all of these things. But we also have to be honest, right? That there are people who work just as hard as you, who don't look like you, who haven't had the same opportunities as you and therefore cannot have what you can have. Right? In fact, we know this to be true. Right, The fact that we live in the United States of America gives us, th- gives us certain opportunities that most people in most of the world do not have. Again, it doesn't take away from hard work and effort, but everything we own has been entrusted to us by God. Nothing is outside of his reach and nothing is too great for him or nothing that we have impresses him, right? He allows us to have all of it. And because that's true, here's what this means for us. What this means is that generosity is trusting God with what is already his. If everything is owned by God, is created by God that he allows us to have, then generosity is not you doing God a favor, it's not that. He's not be like, man, I really hope they give some of this money away. I really hope that they allow people to use some of their resources, right? Everything that you have is his, which means generosity is simply trusting him with what he already has, right? Now, again, this does not take away from the sacrifice. This doesn't mean that it's not hard sometimes to be generous with our time and our resources and our talents. It doesn't take that away, but we're not doing him any favors, 
right? We're simply coming alongside of him and partnering with him and what God is already doing. Again, I like to think of it if, with my kids, right? If you've had kids or you have young kids, like you know, especially when they're, when they're little, like they actually want to do things with you. Uh, and so our, our kids love to do stuff with us. Like, for example, I've shared this before, like Roman loves to build things. He loves it. It's so sad because I can't build anything, right? But anytime I like get a screwdriver to just like screw something in, he like gets something and just like starts hitting the floor with it or like takes it to the wall and starts like marking up the wall because he just wants to build something, right? Well, a few months ago, we have this like little nook in his room. I don't even know how to explain it. There's like a closet and it like goes under our stairs. So it's like three feet high and like two feet wide. It's like this small thing that we're using for storage. And so we decided to take out all the like the storage stuff in there and make it like a little playroom for the kids. It's like a permanent tent because it's like small and it's enclosed. And so we took the stuff out. There was some uh, shelving that was there from the people that had been there since we moved in from the people that owned the house before us. And so we took the shelving out and then there was a bunch of like anchors that you take out of the wall and then you patch it up. And so I got my power drill because it's quicker than, you know, using a screwdriver. And so Roman comes along because he sees me. It's just like, he's like, something's happening. And so he runs into the room and uh, because all you got to do is, you know, press the little trigger button and the, and the anchor comes right out. I was like, here you go, Roman. I held it. He pressed it. The thing unscrewed and they fall out. You would have thought he died and went to heaven. I mean, he was just like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like, I actually get to do it. I'm not like hitting the floor. Like, I'm pressing the button to make the thing come out. He was, oh, he was so happy. We took a video of it, but he's in his underwear, so I can't show it to you. Uh, but he was so excited, right? Here's the thing. He thought he's helping me. He ain't helping me. Right? It's not like it's not going any faster. I don't need it, but it's fun. Like, it's, it's great to be able to do something with Him. And I think we got to remember when it comes to our generosity, we're not doing God a favor. It doesn't take away from the sacrifice and the obedience and the faithfulness of being generous, but at the end of the day, it's trusting Him with what is already His. So the question is, how much do we trust Him or do we not? This is what the Israelites are faced with. God has been abundantly gracious, not just in provision, but in his promises and his presence, giving them repent. Every time they repent, he says, I forgive you. I'm with you. If you've been with us, it's like they don't even deserve it. But yet God is with them again. And so they respond by generosity. Here's what happens next in Exodus 35. And so uh, verse 10 through 19, uh, it's just a summary of people, again, continuing to give different gemstones and different things for the tabernacle, for the things in the tabernacle, for the... Uh, uh, for the incense and the oil and all of these things. People are giving their talents, like their ability to build things and their treasures. And then it says this, if you look down at verse 20 of chapter 35, here's what it says next. Then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all of its services and for all the holy garments. Both men and women came. All who had willing hearts brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who presented a presentation offering of gold to the Lord. Verse 23, everyone who possessed blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen or goat hair, ram skins dyed red or fine leather brought them. So again, they're bringing all of these supplies, right, to build the tabernacle and all that goes with it in response to God's grace for them. And then here's what it says in verse 29, if you look down a couple of more verses. Verse 29 says, So the Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were prompted, or whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord had, or for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done. 
right? So they're giving, they're responding. And I think what's so powerful here, again, is not that they were told, you all have to do this and you all have to give this amount. What makes this somewhat moving is that this is a free will offering. This is simply because of their response of what God has done for them. And, and, and it, would be, it is my belief, and here's what I would argue. As you look at generosity throughout Scripture, here's what I think uh, Scripture teaches us. And that is that why you give is more important than what you give. Why you give is more important than what you give. It's not that what you give does not matter, but why you give is the reason, right? The motivation behind why we do anything, right? This is why we talk about, if you read the New Testament and Jesus' teachings, the Sermon on the Mount and all of these things, you see that our hearts and our motivations are what truly matter. It's not to say how we live and our behavior doesn't matter because it does, but it's not about checking a box. It's not about saying, I've done this, so I haven't done this, so I'm good. It's like, no, does our heart, is our motivations to honor God and to love people, or are we doing good things so that we can make God be in our debt or that, so that we can appear to be great in front of other people, right? Again, Israel's generosity is impactful here because it's from the heart. They were not forced to do this, but in response to God's goodness to them time and time again, they're like, God, we will do whatever it takes to have your power and your presence in our life, right? And so this leads to the question that, especially if you're a follower of Jesus today, the debate, right? Do Christians have to give 10%, right? Do they have to tithe? Uh, and again, Christians can disagree on this. If you're a part of New City, you know my answer to this is not going to surprise you. Uh, but I would say that you don't, or put it this way, uh, you can give less than 10% and still be faithfully generous. Right? You can give less than 10% and still be faithfully generous because it's not about hitting a percentage to check a box. It's about are you actually trusting God with what he has given you? And in fact, I have conversations like this from time to time. I've had multiple conversations like this as we talk about giving. Uh, most recently, one happened a few months ago. In January, we took a short break from Exodus and, and we we're doing this little series to start the year off. Uh, one of the weeks, we talked about generosity. And so I was hanging out with a guy, uh, you know, having lunch somewhat after that. And, and he was asking me, we, were talking, we started talking about giving. And he was like, you know, you said something that I've never like heard a pastor say before, right? That you don't actually have to give 10%. He's like, I don't, that's weird. I've never really heard, I've never really heard someone say that, especially a pastor. He's like, I don't know how I feel. And so we're talking about it a little bit. And he was like, I'm talking to my friends about it. And they're like, that's interesting. And so, and then, and then I asked him this question that I asked to everybody. And to this point, it has always gone the same way. I said this, uh, do you give 10%? He said, no. And then I said, so do you think you're sinning? I'm a great, I'm so, I'm so compassionate and loving, right? And he was like, I don't know, <laughs> right? He's like, I don't know. Uh, side note, let me just peel behind the pastoral curtain for you, just so you know. Uh, the vast majority of people don't actually give 10%. They don't. And, and, and I'm not, I would say this, uh, it's not necessarily, I don't think it's sinful. It can be. And I think 10% is a great goal to shoot for because that's really generous if you can get there. Uh, but I think some people should give more than 10%. Again, why? It's why we give. It's our motivation. It's not checking off a box. Again, what we give does matter, but it's not as important as why, right? Why we give, why, what, what we think we're giving for or what we expect God to do out of it uh, matters. Are we giving because we want to check a box, because we want God to be in our debt so that we can feel good about ourselves or so that we can feel like God loves us? Or are we giving in a response because God has so lavishly given us his grace and his presence in our life and we want other people to experience the same thing?
Right? This is what Israel is, find, is finding themselves. They've seen God's graciousness time and time again, especially after the golden calf. And so they do this. I think it's one of the most amazing things in Exodus. It's starting in Exodus chapter 36. If you read back, we'll start in verse 2. Uh, again, the uh, uh, couple of verses before this point, uh, it's just that Israel is starting to get in on the work. Um, uh, what's their names? Uh, Bezalel and Olahab, Olahab are the ones that are leading the construction of everything. And so people are giving. They're starting to build everything. And then it says this powerful passage, starting in verse 2, chapter 36, says this. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Olahab, Olahab, and every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom, all whose hearts moved them to come to the, to, to come to the work and do it. They took from Moses' presence all the contributions that the Israelites had brought for the task of making the sanctuary. Meanwhile, the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. Then all the artisans who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one uh, from the work that they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. Verse 6, after Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't ever heard of a church or a charity or a nonprofit that said, stop giving us money. We got too much. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? No, you haven't, right? That's what's happening here. It's like, there's, they're like, quit. We don't know what to do with it. It's too much money, right? That has never been a problem in New City Church, right? Just so you know, if you want to give, we do not have a problem of having too much money here, right? They're giving way too much. So they have to literally tell them to stop doing it, to stop being generous, right? I don't know about you. There is only two examples in my life when I want people to stop giving me stuff. Other than that, give me all the stuff. I'm fine with it, right? It's with my kids. Uh, one example is when like they're eating. If you have kids, especially if they're young, like you know or you remember like there's a lot of leftovers, which is great, but like there's the good leftovers and there's the bad leftovers. Right? There's the good leftovers that they haven't touched yet. And there's the one that they've like slobbered on and like licked and decided they didn't want it. And it's like, I don't want those, right? Or if I'm sitting on the couch and they're bringing me, kids are bringing me like their cars and their stuffed animals and there's like so much and it's falling through the cracks. And I'm like, all right, that's enough. Right, it's enough. But generally speaking, that never happens. They have more than enough because people's generosities, their hearts have been stirred, which by the way, I don't think would have happened if God was like, I want everybody to give this amount so that we can build a tabernacle. Instead, he says, do what you want. And their hearts are moved because they want God's presence in their grace and their lives so much that they're giving more than is actually needed. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul, in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it will be on the screen. At 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking about generosity and our motive for generosity. And then he says this, this well-known verse. He says, each person, person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Right, this, what's happening in Israel, or in Exodus at this point, is this verse. Nobody is doing anything except what they want to do. And in fact, uh, this word that is translated here in English from Greek for us, cheerful, is the Greek, in, in the Greek, it's the root word that we get hilarious from. That God loves a hilarious giver, an overabundant giver, someone who gives, and people are like, why are you doing that? Right, that is what is happening here. Why? Because at the end of the day, 
I would argue that God wants your heart. He doesn't want you to give because you think he needs it or to get something from him. He simply wants your heart. And if you have been moved and shaped by Jesus, well, then you have no choice but to want to respond in a way that is generous. Right? And so as we talk about money, some people say, well, you know, People, the church only cares about money, right? They just want my money. They don't care about anything else. They want my money, and it's like this negative thing. Well, let me tell you this. That couldn't be further from the truth, right? God does not want your money. What he wants is more than your money. He wants your life. He wants your vision. He wants your future. He wants your gifts. He wants your talents, and he wants your cash, right? Saying God just wants my money actually sets the bar really low. He wants everything because he wants your heart, he wants your heart. He doesn't want you checking off a box. He wants you. And what you do with your money is such a large part of our identity and us, right? God wants it because he wants your heart. And he doesn't want it so that because he feels bad and he needs people to worship him. He wants it because it is good for you. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe has made a way for you and I to experience his grace and, our, and his mercy, right? We were created to be in communion with him. And so he's inviting us to do that. God wants it all because he wants your heart, right? And so it might be interesting, right? You might say, well, if we don't have to give 10% at New City, or, you know, we kind of say that. Uh, uh, this, uh, what I would also say is this. This does not mean that New City Church has a low standard of giving. Saying you don't have to give 10% does not mean that, that, that you don't have to give anything and what you give doesn't matter. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, we're turning four in a couple of weeks, which we're excited about. If you look at all the averages and the statistics and all that sort of thing, uh, we don't say you have to give 10% here. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't pass an offering plate, which isn't because like, we think it's bad. It's because when we started our church and we were super small, most people giving online, I was like, this would be awkward if we pass this plate and nobody puts anything in it. So we didn't do it, right? And research also shows if you don't pass an offering plate, generally your giving is lower. Uh, even if people are giving online, most because it's like a time in your service where you're reminding people to give, and so they'll, they'll do it. They'll be more likely to do it. Uh, that being said, we have always, the generosity of the people at New City Church has always been above average. Always. And I don't, it's not because we're special or we're doing anything great. It's just simply because we are responding. We're not trying to hit a metric. We're responding to what God has done. In other words, you can put it this way, that the metric of generosity is your heart. That's it. It's not a percentage. It's not an amount. Uh, it's not a per point of percentage of your bank account. It is your heart. That guides your generosity. And so we want to attune our hearts and our minds towards Jesus so that we can trust him and allow him to impact what we do with our resources. And in fact, I would, be so, I would go so far as to say this. And what I'm about to say, like, it's not a joke. I'm not trying to like pull one over on you. Like 100% honesty. Here's what I would tell you that if you don't want to give financially to New City Church, if we talk about us, for example, for, for a second, I would tell you not to give. Like, if you don't want to give to this church, do not give. And I would even say, I don't think God wants you to. Right? If we read throughout Scripture, I don't think he wants you to. If you don't want to give, don't give. However, I would say this, and this is only if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're still trying to figure this thing out, you can take a break for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus and you do not want to give to this church, you need to find a church that you can give to. You need to go to a church that you can get behind the mission of it and support. Now, the good thing is we have so many good churches here in Raleigh. God has blessed us to, in that way. I, and that's not a joke. Like, I love helping people find churches. If that's you, I would personally love to connect you with another church that you can actually support and get behind if you actually believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. Right? This, is, this is so important that we need to support what we're doing or we need to get connected somewhere that we actually can. Now, the question, of course, then becomes... Well, what do you do if you want to give, but it's hard? 
Like, you kind of want to give, but you're like, this cheerfulness thing, I don't even know if I can afford it. I don't, what do you do in that situation? Well, here's what I would say. You focus on the generosity of God towards us. It's not this internal motivation of trying to do it. It's like, no, what does it look like to see and to worship and to remember and to reflect on God's goodness in your life? And let that be the motivation for you to take steps of generosity. I mean, I don't think, this is my opinion as I read this text, I do not think it is a coincidence that Israel displays an overabundance of generosity after experiencing the forgiveness and mercy of God. I don't think it's just like, oh, we're going to do the tabernacle now. It's time to give. I think they have just seen God time and again give them grace and mercy. They make his false idol that's supposed to represent God so they can manipulate him and be in control of him. And again, God gives them grace and mercy and recovenants with them yet again. And so in response to that, in response to being, to being rescued and, be, and rejecting God and God giving them grace again, what do they do? They give because they realize that God is good and loving and compassionate and kind. And they could have everything else in the world, but if they don't have him, they are missing out. They don't have him, they are missing out. This is why uh, I love this quote by Matt Chandler, who's a pastor and author in Texas. He, put it, he puts it this way. He says, the motive of generosity of the people of God finds its root in the generosity of God towards his people. The motive of the generosity of the people of God finds its root in the generosity of God towards his people. We give in response, not to try to get something from him. Again, we don't give a percentage so that we can check a box. We give because we have been changed, and we want others to experience that change as well. Israel is giving because God has so radically loved and given them grace and mercy, but they have no choice but to say, God, we'll do whatever it takes to experience your presence in our life. And so here's how the rest of Exodus 36 ends. Uh, what happens, uh, 35 and 36, uh, what happens is they start to build the tabernacle. And so the next couple of chapters in Exodus, they're building the tabernacle and all the things that, that Moses had gotten instructions to build a few chapters er, uh, er, earlier. And again, all of this is made possible because of the overabundant generosity of God's people who desired God to be with them. So they're giving and they're building, and it's a miraculous sight. Now, all that to say, I do want to say this. I think some of you, as you hear this, as, you, as you're here today, as you're watching online, you might feel burdened by this. Like, uh, this makes sense. I, I want to give, but I'm in a tough situation, right? Maybe you have made some bad financial decisions. I mean, most people don't grow up being told how, how to budget and what to do with their finances. And so for many of us, you might be uh, still reeling from decisions that you made in your past that make this really hard to do. And so to that, here, here's what I would say. Uh, I don't want to burden you beyond what Jesus would ask you to do. I don't want you to feel burdened. I don't want you to feel guilty. Uh, but I, I would encourage look, asking the question, what does it look like to take steps of faithfulness, to get help financially, or reaching out to us at the church, and we can kind of try to do what we can to help you out to get on the right track. Because I, what I don't want us to say, or what I don't want it to happen, is that those of us that might be struggling financially simply say, well, I've made some bad decisions, I'm struggling, and it just is what it is. Right? What I want for you is freedom. I want you to be able to give. I want you to be able to walk in freedom when it comes to finances. And so the question is not just to say, well, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. But what does it look like for me to, to start making better decisions so that I might be able to partake in what God is doing? Right? It's not about guilting people to give. It's not about making people feel shamed. It's simply about seeing what God has done in our life and responding appropriately. In other words, you could think of it like this. Here's what I would want us to know as we look at this passage of, of Israel's overabundant generosity in response to God's mercy. Here's what I would say that our generosity is driven 
by God's generosity towards us. That's it. It's not a percentage. It's not checking a box. It's not trying to get God's favor. It's not trying to say, God, see, I'm really good. So trying to buy his grace in your life that he freely gives in us in Jesus. It's none of those things. Our generosity is driven by God's generosity towards us. And we see God's ultimate display of generosity in the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus came to do for us what we could not do. He stood in the place of Israel, of you, and of me to make a way for us to receive the grace, redemption, and mercy of God. Just like Israel, who has gone their own way time and time and time again, and has complained against God for God not doing all the stuff that they wanted in the timeline that they wanted, God still gave them grace, and so does he give grace to you. Jesus came not because the Israelites started to act good enough or that because he knew one day there would be people who were good enough people or moral enough people to deserve it. He came in our sin, in our darkness, in our separation to draw us towards him and invites us to taste and see and to experience his goodness. It's not about what you have done. It's about what he has done. And so in response to that, right, the mission at New City Church is to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. We want as many people as possible to know that God loves them, that God cares for them, that there is hope, uh, that there is healing, that there is grace in their life, and that one day anybody, not because of us, because of God's grace towards us, who receives God's grace and mercy in their life can take part in God's eternal kingdom, where there is no more pain and death and lying and stealing, and it's not because of us, it is all because of God's grace. And so we give, right? We're generous. We are a generous people, not to get something from God, but in response to what God has done for us. Our generosity is driven by God's generosity towards us. When you look at Jesus, that compels us to give, not when you look at yourself. Right? And so to that end, here's how I want to uh, close uh, my time this morning. Um, as, as the pastor here at New City, I have the privilege of getting to talk to a lot of people and getting to hear the stories of how New City has impacted us, right? And so many of you uh, serve faithfully, and you give faithfully, and you love faithfully uh, in, in, our, in this community, but you don't always get to hear the stories of the impact that this church makes. And so we decided to start something that we are calling New City Stories, uh, and every so often we are going to share with you uh, people from this church sharing how they have been impacted by this church so that you know what you are doing matters, and so today we're going to share the story of Sam and Lindy. Many of you know Sam and Lindy. They were actually uh, started, they joined New City in the first year, so they were almost OGs. Uh, unfortunately or sadly, today is their last Sunday with us as they are moving to Georgia. Um, but before they left, we wanted to capture the impact that you have made on their life. And so turn your attention to the screen. Our first Sunday at New City Church was November 19th, 2017, and the reason I can remember that is because it was actually our first date. Um, so we went to church with a group of friends, Kevin Mimpasi invited us, and then afterwards we uh, went on our first date. I, uh, I think honestly the, the big thing that got me coming to New City was Kevin, so th thanks Kevin. Um, yeah. I'm so thankful that I was able to, to you know, get my foot in the door at New City. I um I had been spent a lot of times at a lot of larger churches that just didn't really feel like home to me. Um, kind of bouncing around while I was in my undergrad, um, and it really wasn't until like I came to New City that first day that I was just like this just feels right. Everybody is like one big family. It's a great community here. Um, I've never been here and felt like you know, like people didn't want me here, or I've never felt judged. I've always felt um, just that people were always ready and willing to accept me with open arms. 
One memory I have of New City is kind of a silly one. I remember this very vividly for some reason. We had a Christmas party and there were a bunch of teams and we were building gingerbread houses and the team that I was on, our gingerbread house just turned out terribly. <laughs> it was all crumbling and at the end there was like a judging part where we had to kind of sell why our gingerbread house would or should win and somehow we finessed a victory even though it was just like crumbling to pieces and so every time I think back of fun memories that I've had here that really sticks out in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, one memory that really sticks out to me is when um, everyone, a bunch of people from the staff went around and handing out like diplomas to everybody. Um, which was really silly because they didn't tell anyone ahead of time and so I was just at work and then I opened the door and Dylan just walked around the corner in a ca cap and gown and I was I was so caught off guard and confused and I, I don't know it just made me feel like um, just heard that they cared in, in that really difficult time. When I came to, to New City I was pretty bitter at um, Christianity as a whole at organized church. Um, I had largely given up on being happy like at a church and feeling like welcome and home. Um, and I was just like, why not give another one a try, I guess. And I, I just, I just felt like my faith and my, my spiritual life and my community, just everything in my life was just revitalized. Um, and it really, really changed me for the better. And now I feel um, just renewed. And as sad as I am to be leaving New City, I'm just so thankful that I've had this time to, to enjoy being here. The prioritization of community and fellowship here and how you should find a church that is right for you and where you can belong um, is great. It's really refreshing to see that uh, their vision is not about this church, it's about the whole body of Christ. And that's something that I personally had not experienced in a lot of churches and something that I think should be emphasized as much as it is, and I really appreciate that. Lenny and I are moving to Georgia. Um, we're really excited for the opportunity that's ahead of us and to start a new chapter in our life. But I think, um, I'm speaking for myself, I, I feel like New City has really become just like a big family for me. Um, and I'm really gonna miss that because I think it's rare that you find that kind of opportunity. Um, so I just, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna miss my friends, my family here. It's just, such a great community. Um, I'm sure that a lot of the relationships we've built here will continue on even after we leave, but it's very sad to not be a part of it every Sunday and be here in person serving with these people, serving alongside a team of great people that are really invested in who you are and what they, the mission that they want to bring to the area. We wanted to say thank you to everyone at New City, all the whole congregation. Just thank you for what you do. Thank you for serving. Thank you for giving and making this church what it is. Um, I think I can speak for both of us and say that like we wouldn't be the same without this community. And we're so thankful for everything. That... It's made a huge impact on us. And I know it has made a huge impact on countless other people as well. So we really appreciate everything that you're doing to be a part of it.